I'm so glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less, and don't let anyone ever rip you off. Speaking of which, Wells Fargo is doing these ads right now about how they're really cleaning up their act. Well, there's another shoe that has just dropped I'm going to share with you coming up in a little while in today's Clark Rageous Moment. Plus, is spending more for a house ever worth doing? Well, one state in the country is going to mandate that houses become more expensive. I'll tell you what they're up to and why it'll actually save people money. What a riddle. But right now, I want to talk about something that is so going to be part of our lives and quicker than many of us are thinking about or realizing is coming, and that is the Jetsons. Us being able to fly around from place to place instead of drive around from place to place. And there will be dead ends and there will be disasters, but the reality is that what's coming with pilotless aircraft is going to be such a game changer and in no time flat it's going to be much less expensive than you might imagine to when you're trying to go from one place to another you'll just get in basically a large drone now i'm not going to be the first to get in a large drone i'm not going to be the second or the third because I know any time with a new technology, we are, well, we're at risk because there's a learning curve. But unfortunately, if you're in the air and the learning curve isn't working well, <laughs> the learning <laughs> is done by others because you may not be with us anymore. But the idea of being able to get around this way is going to become common because the technology that's advancing so quickly with drones anyway has found the cost of drones collapsing. Uh, One estimate I saw in the Financial Times of London is that drones have dropped in price from initial introduction years ago to today effectively by 97%. The technologies that underlie that would be the same ones that would allow for personal transportation pods that will fly you commuter distances not this isn't for flying you know from city to city or state to state this is really about a new way of dealing with having a time machine and this will be something that you'll start to see appear i would guess probably in the next three years but it won't become routine till maybe 15 years from now. Just imagine, instead of worrying about what traffic is going to be like to get from here to there to somewhere, you're now going to know that the trip is going to take the same, let's say, eight minutes every time you do it or something like that. And there are so many breakthroughs coming with transportation the ability for uh, 
pretty fast aircraft to land and take off in your driveway instead of from an airport runway and being able to, to lift off and fly long distances, that's further off in the future, but that's coming too. Karen is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Karen. How you doing? I'm good, Clark. How are you? Great. Thank you. I, I have to tell you, it's such an honor to talk to you. I was in a really bad place financially about two years ago, and that's when I started listening to you. And I've come so far since then with all of your advice, and just want to thank you for everything that you do. Well, thank you for those kind words. Well, I wanted to ask as part of that, I have a 401k and a Roth, you know, traditional and Roth, but I wanted to look into some other alternatives to kind of help me plan for retirement, which would, I'll hope will be in about 12 years or so. And I came across the private real estate investing platform where you can invest as low as $500. And they're saying that they're getting returns between 12 and 14%. And I just wanted to know what your thoughts were about this particular platform. Right. Well, anybody who promises you a return in double digits is something that I would automatically be nervous about. Right. Because nobody can say with any assurance that any investment is routinely going to have a return like that. Because if something in real estate was returning that kind of percent in a year there's a concept known as reversion to mean which means that eventually the returns would return to more normal by having uh, potentially money losing years instead of money making years but I've got a different thing that I'm concerned about and there are several of these that have popped up that are organizations that pool money from individuals in specific real estate deals. Right. And that is that the expense involved with them is higher than other ways to invest in real estate that I'll share with you in a minute. Okay. And the ability to uh, jump out is not as easy as the ability to jump in. Okay. So if you were looking to diversify inside an IRA or a Roth or something like that and you wanted to put money to work or even outside, were you thinking of putting money in inside a retirement plan or outside one in one of these outside. real estate ventures? I have a traditional 401k that I have a targeted retirement fund, so it's widely dispersed amongst um, all different kind of investments. And then I've got a Roth that was I opened one for the my first one um, last year, it's the first time I opened one, and I fully funded it last year. And for my traditional, I'm, you know, meeting and exceeding the um, match from my company. Um, so, But I still am trying to build, and so I was looking for something different that I might be able to get into at a low cost, but hopefully kind of a mass in a, in a quicker way since I'm looking at retirement, hopefully, in about 12 years. Well, you can go into... Um a real estate investment fund that you can buy and sell at will. Like a um, uh, one thing is a real estate index fund that you can go into and out of that is completely marketable 
and doesn't have any of the ongoing expenses like you'd have in one of these things that tend to be between 1% and 2% of okay. your money each year goes to expenses, you can go into one where you pay substantially less, as little as one-tenth of 1% approximately. Oh, wow, okay. And you get much wider diversification if you do a real estate fund. Uh, Vanguard has one. I don't know if you do any stuff with Vanguard. I don't. Uh, Vanguard has one that's, I think, 0.12 of 1% per year. Okay. No, I'm wrong. It's 0.26. And what kind of returns are those generally getting? Well, I mean, it varies per year what kind of return you're going to get with any investment at all. But, you know, usually real estate, if you look a shorter term, because of what's going on with the real estate, you'll see a a bigger number. But you look longer term, it'll be a smaller number. I'm looking right now. uh, Okay, so let's say you put in $5,000. 10 years ago, it would be worth 24000 now in that fund. Okay. But that's an unusually large increase in that time period, because where was real estate 10 years ago? Really low. It was, yeah, the total bus going on. Yeah. So anybody's statistics about what an investment's going to do, because what it's doing right now is not what you want to look at. I see, okay. What you want to look at is you want to keep the costs low and you want to keep the the money well diversified. So I'm a big believer in a real estate fund that is publicly traded that you can buy and sell as you wish instead of anything where you go into something where you're giving money to these people and you don't really know who they are and who knows when you can get that money back. Okay, makes sense. Okay. But I like diversifying in real estate as part of an overall picture. And if you don't want to own individual, like an individual rental property or something like that, that's when I like for you to go into a fund and keep those costs low, low, low that you're paying for that fund. Daniel's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Daniel? You want to talk real estate, and that's your own home? Is that right? Uh, yes, sir. That certainly is. Uh, my wife and I are both retired, and we've got a paid mortgage, and uh, we're looking to buy a condo in Atlanta. I thought about refinancing and not using our home, but now I'm beginning to realize I'd be paying two closings, and uh, so far they seem to be running in the five to 7000 closing range. And we could take the money out of our 401ks, but I'm afraid that would really push us into a new tax bracket. So I well, More than that, it limits, it limits your flexibility. You know, you withdraw money from the 401k, and you don't have that money available to you that can be used for whatever need you would have in your life, where if you liquidate a lot of that, use it to buy this... Uh, this is going to be a second home? Correct. To buy this second home, then you've really limited your options because you might own that second home free and clear, but now you don't have that money available for your needs as 401k money. Are, do you have, are, are you both retired 
And we are both retired. Living and off and a pension, or what are you living off this of? Year. Sorry? I didn't hear that. I, uh, I will turn 70 at the end of this year, and we are both retired. All right, so you have to do some withdrawals. Correct. All right. So what do you live on month to month? Uh, well, we're, we're sort of like you. We're pretty cheap. Uh, we have no uh, real expenses. We're living off our Social Security and dividends from investments. And so the required minimum distributions you're going to have to do because you have to, not because you necessarily needed the money. How much is this second home going to cost? It's only going to cost around 210000 Only. <laughs> well, it's a condo. Yeah. Okay. So to a lot of people, that's a lot of money. That's why, that's why I laughed. All right. Well, we're retired. We, we have worked for many, many years. Okay. So 210000 <laughs> So the source of funds you have would either be to borrow against your existing home or to borrow 70% of the value of this 210 and take out the mortgage against the new home. Because, you know, as a second home, it's pretty easy to borrow 70% of the value. The interest rate won't bump up a whole lot from what you would have had if you borrowed against your primary residence. Okay, so you're saying put down 30% and borrow 70%? Exactly. Okay. And then you don't get into this thing, well, we're going to borrow against our existing home, and we're going to uh, have the closing for that loan, and we're going to have the closing on the, the new condo. I think you do the whole thing as a simple transaction against the condo, and maybe for the 70% you'd be borrowing, which would be roughly 150 grand, that you do a 15-year loan, and I don't know if that's possible, and then you use your required minimum distributions each year as part of how you're going to pay that loan each year. Is there a reason I wouldn't do just uh, 80%? Well, just because as a second home, lenders tend to be nicer to you doing 70. It just depends on the lender. I just wanted to get that in your head that you might need to do a uh, 70% instead of 80% loan to value. But again, it will depend on the lender. Another day, another time for me to beat up on Wells Fargo for absolutely ridiculous practices Wait till you hear today's Clark Rageous moment. Scams, ripoffs, outrages. It's a Clark Rageous moment. Just when you think it can't get any worse, now a new scandal has come to light involving Wells Fargo cheating policemen and firefighters on their pensions. Wells Fargo, in addition to everything else they do, manages pension funds for a variety of people in the country and this is not like something where wells you know with their tv ads right now telling you how yeah we did bad things in the past but i promise we're doing new stuff and we're going to be really good to people this has been going on this year with wells fargo apparently lying 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 you should read this wall street journal story and cheating 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 firefighters and police officers retirees in the pension plan wells fargo was getting kickbacks from various operators that were 
uh, providing investments to the pension fund and pocketing those kickbacks instead of doing what they're required to do, which is have them for the benefit of the retired firefighters and police officers. There is rot to the core of Wells Fargo, and if you continue to do business with these people, you need to know the risk. Fair warning to you. They are a danger to your wallet. So many scandals, so many different abuses of people, and this is a bank that is rotten, rotten, rotten for your money. Lots of good choices out there with credit unions, small banks, online banks. Fire them. It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to keep more of what you make. So California has done something that has set off a lot of controversy. California has a new requirement that if you build a home, with very few exceptions, you must install solar as you build your home. Not encourage you, you must requirement. And so there's a visceral reaction, a lot of people, this is a ridiculous interference and private property rights for a state to say that you must install solar. Well, if you go with that line of thinking, why do we have um, counties that issue permits or local governments issue permits? Why do they do inspections for electrical, for plumbing, for various skilled trades? It is considered to be a public interest to make sure that a home is built to code. So solar, though, isn't that too far a reach? Well, the idea of this is that if solar is incorporated in the design and build of a home, it's much cheaper to put in place. And even though it would slightly raise the cost of a home, that the homeowner, even including that extra cost, would save net money every single month after they move into the home. So it is something that is very controversial, but I want to throw some numbers at you. The median price of a home in California is how much? New home being built. $565,000. That's going to the realtors in California, the trade association. So adding the solar to a home when it's being built would take that home up $9,000. Just under 2%, I guess, the cost of the home. But actually, the homeowner is someone who has solar, I can tell you. The homeowner is going to easily save more than the additional added dollars in the mortgage each month and what they'll save on energy by having the solar on the home. There are other ways, too. You know, I've talked about how if homes were built to a much higher efficiency standard as part of the building code, the cost of building the home would rise from 1% to 3%. But the amount of money a homeowner would spend on utility bills would collapse for that home if it were built to a high energy efficiency standard 
from the beginning. I know as a longtime volunteer with Habitat for Humanity that chapters of Habitat that build ultra-efficient homes are able to build homes that have uh, an electricity bill per month typically less than $50 for homes that are usually about 1,200 square feet. And that's just because they build from the ground up with energy efficiency as part of the process. You may feel, again, this is a complete interference in your personal life for an imposition of a mandatory install of solar. But the irony of it is if you voluntarily want to put in solar, California enlarging the solar market as much as they will by requiring mandatory install of solar will effectively lower the cost of solar through more efficient production for everyone else in the country who decides to put solar into a home you're building, lowest cost, or retrofitting a home that already exists with solar. I'll tell you one thing you will love if you ever put in solar, not sending that money to the utility company every month. Ken is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Ken. Hello, Clark. Ken, you got a story you want to share with people, and you want to share it as often as you want and hope that people will listen. Is that right? <laughs> Something like that, right. What's your uh, scoop? A lot, of, a lot of people are doing podcasts and seem to be earning enough to make it a full-time job, so I'm looking at starting one, and I, I know the production side of it, but I'm wondering if you have some tips on how to make it financially viable. So uh, usually, if you're going to make it financially viable, you have to do more than just the podcast. You have okay. to be extremely active on social media. You have to have a written word kind of website as well, where things you talk about in your podcast are available. Are you doing an instructional podcast, inspirational? What kind of topic area is it generally? Well, my my day job is as a journalist for a business news weekly, so I'll probably leverage that to do life skills, motivational things, you know, how to network for a job, time management, dealing with difficult people at work, work-life balance, those sorts of topics. Think about how perfect the podcast is with the written word that you would have at your companion website. Right. Because, you know, you and a podcast can say, you know, if you want to see my step-by-step on uh, – how to motivate other people in the workplace or whatever. Go go to my website right now, and I'm going to walk you through it. But okay. you have a base from what you already do as a journalist. But getting to the point where a podcast is profitable requires a, a sustained and growing audience. And have you been to – there's a website I've talked about in the past – eofire.com is that something you've heard of before no uh-uh. so eofire.com is all about how to make a podcast profitable some of the stuff is about how to do the nuts and bolts you already know right. but there's special emphasis there on how you actually can earn a living from a podcast or at least generate net income from a podcast Good. Okay, I'll check it out. And how active are you on social media? Oh, well, you know, just for my own personal things. I'm not doing anything for business necessarily. 
So with this, I mean, you would really need to think of a, you know, using social media yourself as a personal thing, you know how, how people interact with it. So you have to start thinking of it from the, from the standpoint of your podcast and how you generate traffic. Because in order to get advertisers today, you need a minimum sustained audience of 2,500 people. Okay. And so for a while, you'll be podcasting to a smaller audience and building up loyal followers. And you do that with consistency, how often you put out the podcast, and then building the traffic with time. And, uh, you know, I've had many years as a podcaster, and I will tell you it requires patience and stick-to-itiveness to make it go. If I may ask, is the podcast part of your revenue stream, or is it just kind of a, a, a bonus thing? Definite part of revenue stream. Okay, okay. But, you know, well, we, you. Have, we have been at it, I think it's 12 years, 14 years. And so there were many years that it was really just, uh, for lack of a better term, a brand extension. Right. And then it became a profitable thing, and then it became a significant producer of revenue. But it does take time. But, uh, you know, if the, content, you know, as a journalist, content's everything. Yeah. And so if you generate content that people love, that's really how you make it happen, particularly if you already know the basics about how you execute a podcast. Content that people find compelling and particularly unique. You know, that's the advantage I've had with podcasting is not necessarily compelling, but certainly unique content. Do you have any comments on the length? Um, Well, I do a longer podcast than most. I would say somewhere around 15 minutes is Mm -hmm. a timeline that that I really like. But there are a lot of different opinions about length of podcast. The, The other advantage, though, let's say you're focusing on a particular topic in a podcast and you need more time for that one. Give it more time. You have that flexibility. And if you got something that is a topic that's very meaningful, don't use having a certain set number of minutes as an arbitrary thing where you're just talking in circles to get to where you've talked those number of minutes. I see. Okay. Thank you. And best of luck with it. It's such a great thing because people get to listen on their schedule not necessarily yours, and I think that's what's so great. Well, we get to be joined right now by two people here. Kellen and Aiden are both with us on the Clark Howard Show, and how do I have the pleasure of speaking with both of you right now, Aiden? That would be great. So, Aiden, why are you and Kellen calling me? We want to know what what we should do with our investment and what we've saved. And so both of you are eight-year-old twins, right? Mm-hmm. And who has saved more money, Kellen? I think Aiden has. He says he has about $150. And how much do you have? I have about 117 Wow. Good for both of you. Now, first I want to know, how did each of you save this money at only eight years old? Kellen, how'd you save your one seventeen? Um, I saved it from allowance. I get about five dollars per week, depending on how many chores around the house I do. 
And Aiden, how did you outrun your sister with coming up with 150? Um, it's my brother and oh, brother. Oh, sorry. Uh, yes, it's fine. Um, and I'm not completely sure. I just think I might have saved up a bit more money, and I do get five dollars each week, same as Kellen. Okay, well, good for both of you. So, the money you want to invest, how long are you willing to leave it aside? First, you, Kellen, how long are you willing to put this money that you have, the 117, and let it just grow for how many months or years? Or what are you thinking? I'm not actually sure. That's actually why I called you to see what you thought about it. All right. Well, the idea is that when you save money, you're putting money into like a savings account where you put the money into it and then they pay you interest on the money with the thinking being that it's money that you're going to spend sometime in the next few years. On the other hand, if it's money that you've felt good about saving and you might want to add to it over the years and you're willing to invest it where you own little pieces of companies like name a store or place you like to go i've been to disney world okay that has big stock all right so you could own disney stock you could you could do anything like that any what place do you like to eat i really like to eat my favorite um restaurant is called miyako it sells sabachi huh well that may not be a uh, one you can buy a stock in though so okay. uh and that was was that Kellen or Aiden just gave me that answer? No, it's Kellen. Kellen said, Aiden, what's your favorite restaurant that's like a big one? Hmm. I like Chick-fil-A. Okay. Well, Chick-fil-A is a big company, but they don't sell stock either. So there's something you can do where you could be an owner of a lot of different companies where you could buy what's known as a fund. And in a fund, they'll own little parts of companies, as many as like... 3,000 different companies all in one. Or if you both like Disney, you could buy Disney stock. Mm-hmm. Now, what you can do is go in with a parent. The place I would go is to Charles Schwab. Have you ever heard of them? No, never. Neither of you have heard of Charles Schwab? Well, you just need $100 as uh, somebody who's not an adult you just need a hundred dollars to open an account and then you can start buying these these funds and i'm going to recommend one to you specifically for the two of you to open okay okay it's the schwab broad market index and you'll own little parts of thousands of companies in that one thing and you can put your 117 and your 150 each into it. And then as you have more allowance money, you can add to it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So just have a parent take you. And I'm so impressed with both of you that you want to uh, save money already at eight years old. And I think you'll love doing the investing thing. And you've got reports about what's going on with the investment that I would like for you to try, the Schwab Broad Market Index Fund. And it's actually called, gosh, I'm going to give more, we're going to give you a little bit of information off the air because it gets a little involved what you actually tell them when you have a parent take you to Schwab. 
Mike is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Mike, I understand you want to talk about various strategies with doing banking. Yeah. Hey, Clark. It is a privilege to speak with you. I've been a listener for 20 years, and um, I'm excited to finally get a chance to speak with you. And I want to say thank you for all and your team do, um, for all the research you do and the vetting of of, um, information that you do for us. Well, thank you. That's very kind of you to say. I recently switched from a, a giant monster mega bank to a completely online account. And so in one of the difficulties with doing that and, and issues I ran into is being able to deposit cash into a completely online account. So I wanted to, um, you know, I hadn't heard you mention um, this method before, so I wanted to call in and uh, found a way to that allows you to do it for free. So I wanted to provide that information to you guys. Well, hit me with it because the thing, it's like that's been a problem for people who have gone to Charles Schwab for their banking is they don't take cash deposits. And now you're mentioning with online banks, you can't do cash deposits. So I want to hear because I've been looking for a strategy. What did you figure out? Well, um, I found an account um, that you have mentioned before, and it's a uh, an account typically used for stored value. Um, for you know, students that where parents want to send money to the, their students. Which um, sword value card did you find that would be a good one for this? Is a Bluebird. Oh, the oh, that's that's such a great idea. Yeah. So and, do you go into a Walmart store and make the deposit on the Bluebird? Yeah. What I do? Yeah. That exactly. What I do is I I bring cash to Walmart. And at no charge, they will add the, the cash value to the Bluebird account. And then online, I've connected my checking account, my online checking account, to my Bluebird account. And I can transfer the money um, from my Bluebird account to my checking account. And it's there in a one or two business days. Okay, so that really- is a brilliant idea. Mike, I am thrilled and that makes you a member of our team because you have solved a riddle that I haven't been able to solve for the last few years. Great job. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast of our show, I'd love it if you'd subscribe. Whatever your favorite podcast app is, we're pretty much there. And whether you love what you hear from me or hate it, take time to write a review. It's how we all learn from each other is from those reviews.